I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Real niggas getting money from the fucking stars. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode two of Wayward Weekly. This is Bobby Burns and Paul Sexton. Hey, everybody. Um, all right. We don't really have a, an outline or anything um, in the books of how we're doing this, so we're just still figuring it out. But uh, we were just talking about uh, Fiverr because we are getting logos figured out. And Paul, you were saying what? Well, it's just interesting because uh, the artwork and the logos that we're looking at, um, they're really, really good. The artists are great. But one of the artists is in Nigeria, and the other artist is in the United Emir- uh, United Arab Emirates. Uh, so we're basically outsourcing this type of artwork to another country, and it's just kind of indicative of the entire American experience right now. We pretty much get all of our goods, including our art, from other countries. And their art is great. It matches up to American art, but... If we were to find an artist here, because of the um, the expenses that Americans have to incur and everything, we wouldn't be able to afford it. So that's a possibility. You know, I looked when I was searching Fiverr. I'm like, because this is a podcast about, well, it's about whatever we want it to be. But um, I think generally our conversations tend to focus on um, United States politics, law, and Mm -hmm. just society in general and how society operates. Um, I wanted to find a cartoonist um, that fit kind of our style that we were looking for in the United States, which was a filter that I was able to apply to Fiverr. Um, And it wasn't that anybody was really out of the price range, to be honest. Um, There were only four that I found. Uh, and of the four that I found, I didn't really like the style of any of them. Oh. Um, so okay. I I don't know uh, if maybe I don't know how Fiverr works. So I don't. Uh, I would imagine people can charge whatever, but maybe because it's so expensive, um, political cartoonists within the United States uh, don't go on Fiverr um, or or post job um, descriptions on Fiverr, things like that. <clears throat> and so um, I ended up going with somebody from outside of the United States. Uh, and and for a second, I was just like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like, you know, this is supposed to be about the United States. And I feel like I want to support <laughs> yeah. artists within the United States. Uh, but yeah. then at some point, I was kind of like, fuck it. I mean, there's a quote. I'm not even going to be able to remember it, so I I won't uh, attempt it. But it was uh, just something about um, how nationalism is kind of the death of free thinking. Um, That if I'm limiting, you know, to how I'm thinking about things to uh, this nationalistic point of view, um, then I'm no longer able to think freely about a subject matter or a point of view. Because it really shouldn't be about nationalism, especially in 2020, right? We're in a, um, especially as we're dealing with something like the COVID-19 crisis, um, you know, this is one world and one economy. Um, and so it shouldn't just be about helping people here. It should be about helping people everywhere, I would assume. Um, and so, I don't know. It was interesting as I was going through and, and hitting my little dilemmas. A part of it, I will say, is that I wanted somebody who... Uh, understood American politics and was relevant in that. Um, but based off of what we're going for, A, I don't know if that matters, and B, 
both of the artists seemed to heavily be uh, in the market of American political cartooning, which was really interesting, right? I didn't see that a lot of stuff that was was uh, based off of Nigeria um, or United uh, Arab Emirates or even the UK for that matter. It was all about the United States. So that was interesting. I'm not sure how Fiverr filters that stuff out, but um, um, I don't know. Thoughts? Well, no, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting, but it's kind of like, um, you know, that's why the, the cliche, the, the, you know, the dumb American, because we don't we don't really know what goes on in the rest of the world. I mean, we follow what goes on, but we don't follow everyone else as much as everyone else follows us. But I mean, they, that kind of goes for like sports teams and everything. You know, the winning team gets the most, uh, you know, media coverage uh, and people tend to follow them, not only because they like the particular sports team, but there's a whole, a whole other swath of people that just love to hate that sports team, you know? Yeah. So I kind of look at the United States like that. So I'm always fascinated in talking with <laughs> the people sports from other team countries. that people love to hate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like the Patriots, Tom Brady, like that kind of stuff, you know, the cliche sure. in America's that kind of way. And, uh, and, it is impressive when you talk to people from other nations and they talk about just how much they know about our country. Um, it's really, really impressive, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and their art was great too. Like, I mean, I was shocked just looking at the art and you're right. They did. You can tell they follow our politics because the art is literally just spot on. So, I mean, I was getting a kick out of looking at it. So I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like at the end for really cheap too. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I found myself wondering, um, based off of a lot of the things that I found myself browsing on there, um, are some of these artists really putting art into it or are they just pumping out um, crap very quickly uh, off of something that they know yeah. how to do? You know, you mentioned to me uh, yesterday or the day before that um, you had been thinking about the intro to this podcast for quite some time, not as the intro to our podcast or maybe, um, <clears throat> but uh, that you just had the idea to blend those two things together for quite some time and had never done it. And, yeah. um, you know, for me, uh, I would equate that to just pumping out crap, right? If someone's like, oh, I want to blend these two things together. It's like, boom, 10 minutes, I'm done. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the things on there, it's like, I will make a logo for you for this for $5 or $10 or this or that. And then you look at some of them and you're like, oh, this is very much like, cookie cutter they all use a lot of the same mm -hmm. background or the same styling and and things like that but um uh hopefully we paid a little bit more money so hopefully we get some more quality out of this we paid for premium artwork well the thing is i mean what's the difference between like uh you know the street artists that you'd see at the beach i mean they draw portraits they're always the, the wacky kind of caricatures and everything but they do that really really quickly and i'm always impressed every single time because i can't do that yeah i can't draw whatsoever so um you know more power to them if they can move through it really quickly and still do a really good job you know remember the artist who painted my face like a puppy dog at SeaWorld when i was 24 <laughs> yeah. uh, do sea worlds even exist anymore i don't know i just got a uh as you were talking about the people painting things i got a a quick memory of uh me and your your brother-in-law getting our faces painted and and then didn't uh, someone say something to you didn't someone <laughs> yes. give you crap 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, I, as I was walking through, um, someone's all nice face painting faggot. And then, <laughs> and then Jackie, uh, your sister's friend was there and she just like started yelling <laughs> at the guy, which Jackie's was, awesome. Yeah. It was the greatest response you could ask for. I didn't even have to do anything. I didn't have to say anything. I'm like, well, it was all said. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what's great about those types of people too. Because I mean, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I mean, was the guy saying it as a joke or wait, you weren't there? You? No, no, I wasn't there when that was said. I was there, but I wasn't there when that was said. I got okay. to see your face painting, but I wasn't around when the person made the comment to you. Like, so was but the you were at SeaWorld with us, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah. You sound super concerned. I wasn't there. Well, I just didn't know what I was imagining in my head. <laughs> I, like in my head, I'm like, Paul was there, right? Okay, he was, he was there. <laughs> the face painting, but I mean, what what was the guy like being serious or was it just a joke? I'm assuming that the guy went out of his way to like say it in a derogatory sense because oh Jackie, yeah, sh- sure, yeah, yeah, no, he which he is was, a, which is amazing. He it, was it is truly yeah. He was definitely trying to like upset me or get a reaction from me. It was just like it's, a, it's like I have a face painting. <laughs> like like obviously, I'm not taking myself. Seriously, but it's just amazing that people maybe go out he, of their way to do that. Maybe he thought I was. Maybe he thought, I, I don't know, no, but he, yes, you're right. It no, is he might have. He might have. You know, but the thing is, is like, even if you were, I mean, you know, the way, to, like, countering that, like, let's say that you were, like, I mean, for someone just to shout that in the middle, like... <laughs> of like, SeaWorld well, yeah, when children are around. <laughs> well, but, but the thing is, is what's the difference between him seeing a blue sky and just yelling, blue sky? <laughs> seeing like a like an otter otter it's like well no shit it's a fucking otter like so you, you call someone that is actually gay a faggot like the guy you know the person should just look over and be like i put dicks in my mouth of course i'm a faggot like what are you a fucking idiot <laughs> like of course like you idiot like but it's just amazing that people are that insecure to go out of their way you know they see someone that's having a good time like you and they're like you're having too much of a good time i need to comment on this but that was prior to like you know that was what pre youtube and facebook really taken off sure that must have been 2007 i want to say yeah back then you actually had to hate in person (laughs) now now you just sit there at your keyboard and just type away yes and say a bunch of nothing this is true but yeah but uh and i was going to talk to you about uh the language and everything too that we're using uh i've you know we first started this a ways back there were some comments that we got from people that were like you know what like there's just the the cussing it's too gratuitous um uh, it makes it difficult because if i want to listen to it with my family and all that but cussing can become gratuitous if you do it all the time but sometimes it provides emphasis but i do understand what people are saying like they want to be able to put it on and not necessarily offend people that are around them but i'm not i'm not sensitive about it in that way someone can go over the top i know i can go over the top sometimes like especially when i'm just around friends like a podcast is really easy to get taken away because i'm you know i'm uh or get carried away because i'm you know it's just you and i one-on-one right now we're talking and it's just a way to kind of bullshit with one another while still having a substantive conversation. And I think it adds a little bit of levity to it. But then there's other people that look at it and say, you know what, like you may have a message, but the message isn't reaching a lot of people because you're offending them before you even spread the message. Not that we have a message or a persona, 
I mean, we, the way you and I are acting right now is as real as it gets, right? So, so then do you think that is something, though, to attempt to be aware of? Because, again, I mean, <clears throat> going back to like some of the things we talked about last episode, um, another point is to this is like we... Uh, if this were to become something that we would want it to be, we wouldn't just want it to be another echo chamber, another thing that gathers listeners um, who already think the types of things that we think you would want it to, or I'd imagine you would want it to be something. I would want it to be something where um, someone could say, hey, check this out. It might not be exactly what you're thinking, but I think it might be presented in a way um, that can help neutralize some of your ideas or opinions or whatever, because that's a lot of what you and I talk about is the neutralization of ideas and opinions and um, really extreme points of views. And so, yeah. so if that is generally the goal of this, then, I mean, should that be a consideration? On the other hand, I would say that <clears throat> the ideas of things being taboo in general, such as language and sex and drugs, um, yeah. from my perspective and the, the things that I know, um, don't teach people then how to appropriately operate and interact with those types of things. And so, yeah. you know... Um, if you take uh, children who grow up in families who aren't talking about things like sex, um, then when it comes time for that to be uh, an opportunity in an individual's life, they don't make good decisions around it because they're not educated, they're not comfortable. Um, yeah. Same thing with drugs and same things with language. I mean, I was just uh, in a continuing education class uh, this morning and uh, I think you actually really would have enjoyed it. Part of me was like, should I send this to Paul right now so he can log in? But a lot of it was about language and the science of language, um, or rather the language of science, I should say, and why language matters. Uh, and um, I studied behavior analysis in uh, college or graduate school, and um, I studied uh, uh, B.F. Skinner. And what they talked about is some of the reasons that uh, Skinner made up all these brand new terms wasn't to be super confusing or really, um, you know, put his name onto something and have this this new idea there. It was because if he were to use terms that people are already familiar with, then they're coming in with preconceived notions and experiences and mm -hmm. uh, ideas of rewards or punishment around these terms. And so um, he calls a, uh, this thing a mand, a request. He, he labeled it a mand um, or a demand or a command. But when you hear the word command or when you hear the word request, you have 35 years of hearing that word built up around you and you're going to have these preconceived notions that he didn't want coming into play. And so there's a clean slate around it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> At any rate, I don't know where I was going with that other than it branched off of the the whole um, idea of taboos being something that are somewhat destructive to our ability to uh, operate um, things that can then seemingly be foreign because we haven't been exposed to them. So I don't know. Um, with both of those things being said, um, both of the tabooness of language on the, on the one hand, but on the flip side of it... Um, maybe censoring ourselves a little bit so that we can reach a more general audience who might be turned off by those things. What are your thoughts? 
You know, I, I was actually just thinking of uh, a podcast that I uh, listened to quite a bit uh, back in the day. And what they did on there is, you know, it was cussing, just free form, all that. Still, you know, uh, not long form uh, discussions, kind of like, you know, a short discussion with someone. Then he cut to like a comedic skit or something or just talking with uh, some of the other co-hosts. Um, and I guess people were writing in and saying, hey, like, I'd love to listen to this in my car, but I can't because of my family. So what he did is he ended up dividing up the week. I'm not sure if he still does this because it's been a while since I've listened to it, but he would divide it up. So let's say, you know, Tuesday and Thursday were no cussing days or something like that. And honestly, it drove me nuts as a listener because the reason why I listened to it is because all of the cable news stations, everything else that's coming at me over the radio, everything is censored. Like, you don't just get yeah. to talk as a human being. Um, it's filtered because, well, you know, you'll make a lot more in advertising dollars if you talk this way or that way. And the show was still good, but I, I liked the adult aspect of it. I liked the adult humor. and But people were like, well, I can't listen with my kids. But it's like, you know, some of the stuff, like, why would you want to listen to it with your kids? Unless... Unless you're listening to it with your kids and you're able to kind of explain it to them like, hey, you know, uh, you're not going to understand all of this stuff, but there's certain things you can and can't say. And if you say this, you're going to get in trouble. I mean, but, but don't, don't you think that... we're filtering ourselves all the time anyways? Like, yeah, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't you say that around me, um, maybe you have less of a filter, but there's still certain things that like you might agree with or disagree with that you tend to bring up less or maybe the way in which you bring it up is is less um, harsh or more approachable because you don't want me to react a particular way. So um, that being said, I mean, I was in another CEU um, this evening at around five o'clock and <clears throat> one of the, the, the guys presenting, um, I can't remember what the particular slide uh, had to do with exactly, but we were talking about ethics and uh, he said, you know, you might recognize um, someone looking like this and we'll just call it resting unhappy face. Um, but you guys know the words to fill in. And a part of me for a second there was like, well, now I'm just thinking it. Why didn't you just say it? Because you just yeah. made all of us think this thing. And we're all behavior yeah. analysts here. And we're all thinking about um, how verbal operants or the, these triggers uh, turn, it can trigger these in, internal events in our heads. And so what you just did is made us all think the word instead of just saying it. I don't get what the difference is. You know, it's like when you're driving down the freeway and you see a billboard that has something bleeped out. When I was four, that I just then thought the word. I had heard. <laughs> heard all of them before, whether my parents yeah. shielded me from it or not. There was a kid down the street who said it, or it got snuck into something somewhere, or I overheard a grandparent say it. I knew what it was. I'm not an idiot. And so now I'm just <laughs> thinking it in my head. It doesn't necessarily protect me from it. Um, well, you're bringing up actually something that that's a, I completely forgot about this, but when I was younger, I used to wear a Tasmanian devil shirt. And you know, the Tasmanian devil is just in a constantly in like a vortex all that sure. he's speeding around and and he says a bunch of gibberish and you know so they have you know when you're trying to cover up a, a, a curse word you use all those different symbols and everything <laughs> yeah. instead of using the actual word well with him it's just gibberish and i had that on my shirt as a young kid and my mom's friend who is christian like i remember he overhearing the conversation and she's like uh, leona do you know what that means and um <laughs> my mom's like what she's like you know they're just like just masking that because it's really like it's a curse word. So even though he's he doesn't the devil. List, 
yeah, Tasmanian Devil. And just because, <laughs> you know, it's covered up on there doesn't mean that it's not, you know, just covering up a curse word, you know. So maybe you shouldn't, like, have him wear the shirt. And I remember being, like, younger, just being like, what is she talking about? You're like, what the that's, that's, fuck? You know what's funny is now I'm having a hard time deciding whether I should censor myself or not. And then I just like whispered it instead of said it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's like, it's like watching, uh, but in her case, the thing is, is that it, like I wasn't the problem in that case because I, I just looked at it as the Tasmanian devil. Like I was applying my childlike views onto my shirt and thinking this is cool. (laughs) But she's a- applying her adult-like insecurities onto me as a child. Yeah. See what I mean? And and I was just like, it's just a t-shirt. But the reason why I remember is because she made it an issue in my mind. Yeah. Like, I, so I wouldn't it's necessarily, kind of a mess up. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it her insecurities about, um, about that, though. What I would say is that, like what we have to recognize and what we're talking about with censorship here um, is that, and this came up again in, in the first uh, continuing education unit I was taking this morning is that um, because everyone has a different history um, and different uh, experiences in their life, things mean different things to them than those types of things would mean to me, you know, the microphone that I'm talking into when I see it uh, represents something differently than it does for you. You know, when your first experiences with microphones um, might just be doing this podcast, but for me, you know, I look at it and I think of music and bands because that's my first experience with utilizing and interacting with microphones. And, um, and so I think part of the idea with censorship is uh, being cognizant of the fact that other people are going to have um, different interpretations of language and views. And again, to go back to types of things we were talking about last episode, you know, if we've only got a small amount of time to communicate with somebody or to get back uh, to try and change somebody's behavior, um, then you would probably want to do that in the most effective way possible and and censor yourself at least somewhat. I mean, isn't yeah. wasn't that although it wasn't what we were talking about last episode, an underlying theme is censorship, censor yourself. Like censor the feelings that you're having, you know, when you're on the freeway. It was more about recognizing that what you do isn't going to to change anything, but in a sense that's mm-hmm. censoring your feelings. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's like it's it, it's like wanting to be accepted, but then having the philosophy of like, well, I can do whatever I want. You have to accept me, sort sort of thing. And I get what you're saying that in that regard, uh, you're not changing any minds. You're just making the other person just resent you because you know you're oil and they're water, and it's just it's not mixing. Yeah, sort of thing. So if you tone it down a little bit, you tone down the cussing and all that, you give the other person an opportunity to bond with you. And then over right. the course of that relationship, you can expand and become more of yourself. But at the same exact time, there's a part of me that really enjoys when like, like Ubering, for example, I mean, I heard so many different opinions. I mean, uh, it's more demo- democratic positions, you know, left-leaning positions, but, uh, but some right-leaning positions as well. I heard them all just I mean, as far to, as general conversation goes 
general conversation. And, and the thing is, is that I was able after a while, and I've never been good at this when Ubering really helped, but uh, I got to the point where I got people to really just open up. Uh-huh. I mean, this one guy told me, and you know, maybe I should have been more up in arms, but uh, he was a Democrat. He was talking about his life experience. He's from uh, Manhattan, has a, uh, a flat there, uh, wealthy individual, um, like a lot of the people that I picked up, uh, a lot of them Uber, you know, going back and forth to the airports and everything. And, and to set the scene he, a little bit more, picking him up from the airport in Santa Barbara, correct? Is Santa Barbara. And I can't remember where I was driving him to because, I mean, you know, I've picked up thousands of people. And but he stuck out in my mind because we started having this conversation, and he was against Trump, and he had some type of life experience. Like he was basically saying, he's like, "You you haven't seen what I have seen." And he's wearing these, you know, uh, wide rimmed glasses. Um, he, he looked like what you would think a liberal would look like, but almost like a like a Steve Bannon type of looking liberal. With had kind of a militant sort of attitude, so we started talking and getting into it. And he said, "You know what? He's like, he's like, I, he's like, I think that Trump should be removed from office, and I would be in support of torturing him. <laughs> like he was in favor of torture, but 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 he he like had these heartfelt. Well, I don't know if they're really heartfelt, but I mean, he had a life experience that led him down this path that said no." Like, I'm right, and this needs to be taken care of, and I would be in favor of waterboarding him and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember exactly what he wanted to get out of that, but I told him, I was like, instead of me flipping out and and being like, well, what? Like, I would never do that. Like, that's scary. I just was like, I was like, but the problem is, uh, sir, like, I I understand that you have a background in everything, but. um, What was his background? Did you know or remember? He didn't really he didn't really get into it, but he sounded like he had a pretty tumultuous past, and it sounded like maybe it had to do with individuals that leaned more to the right. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think the gentleman was in his sixties, uh, um, so maybe he had some run-ins with the government in the past, or something happened. He was kind of um, not very revelatory in that regard. But I just told him at the end, and he he didn't have a response for this. But I was like, I was like, you know, I understand uh, the the feeling about Trump, and I told him like I I didn't vote for Trump, but if we do what you're saying, don't we just become the thing that we don't like? Don't we just become the person? And he just kind of he didn't have a response. Like he just. But he didn't change his mind, though. He didn't stop thinking what he was thinking. The ride basically ended after that. I got him to his destination and everything. And it was fine. We had a great conversation. But the thing is, is that I like people just telling me what they're thinking and who they are. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I like that even if it's, even if it's extreme. And, I, and so back to the cussing and all that kind of stuff, there is extreme language and sometimes it can be over the top. But uh, I think subduing or acting like that language doesn't exist or these people don't exist, I think causes more harm than good because you're basically putting these people into a corner and they don't interact with the rest of us. And so they become resentful and they start to double down on that rhetoric. And then it gets to a point where you really can't have a conversation. And then you're living in two different Americas, two different worlds 
and I don't think that that is necessarily good for the country overall. So re-explain that last part. Um, So because of censorship, why is it that we we isolate certain people? Well, I think there's uh, there's certain ideologies, and, and it, it, it crosses all spectrums. Uh, there's certain ideologies that people on the right don't like about the left, so they just completely ignore the left. And then there's certain ideologies on you know the right, vice versa, goes both ways. But people start to self isolate, and then we like. But is that censorship perfect- or just the isolation in the echo echo chamber? Well, it, it, it is self-isolation and it becomes an echo chamber. But the thing is, it's is almost that, censoring like an echo chamber is censoring yourself from the outside world as opposed to censoring your what you're giving to the outside world. Well, uh, well, yeah, I guess they're not uh, exactly censored in the I guess the normal way that we would think about it in terms of like a absolute like government type censorship where someone just has zero ability to speak. But I mean, I'm talking about you know, excluding them from the public square, acting like they don't exist. And then it, when they do come out and they do uh, espouse their ideas, everyone just looks at them like they're the fool in the room. But the oh, problem so you're is, talking is that, about like almost forced censorship onto other people. Yeah, and exactly. We're, we're, I, we're I basically saying. saying we're virtuous because our ideas are right. <clears throat> And we think that you are a horrible person because of your ideology. So those people leave. So you should not be able to um, give those ideologies to other people because we don't believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then groups become marginalized. They find, you know, the Internet allows marginalized individuals to locate each other online. And then then those people, instead of needing to find a way to engage with society, they basically just withdraw into their groups online. And we're sure. actually seeing that with the COVID uh, thing right now with mm-hmm. misinformation. And to, to actually transition into that, I was kind of disturbed today. Um, I was looking at uh, some posts uh, online, and there's a particular Twitter page. I'm not going to reveal... Uh, uh, I'm going to try throughout the entire podcast not to talk about people uh, that we know by name or anything, Um because you know, if if the podcast does grow and we do get an audience, uh, I want to you know, I want to be able to uh, respect the anonymity and the privacy of our friends and everything. But I was looking at a particular page, Twitter page, and there was uh, three posts down. There was a link basically suggesting that this uh, doctor that Trump appointed, I think her name is Deborah Burtz, um, and she was appointed to help with the, the COVID um, in terms of allocating resources, that kind of stuff. I haven't really dug into her profile too much, but basically this post was making the, they're trying to link her to this other woman who is named Laura Burtz, and supposedly Laura Burtz was this woman's daughter, and the daughter worked for the Gates Foundation, and the Gates Foundation is evil. And there's a so conspiracy wait, now Trump's in on it. No, no, no. That's that's the the ironic thing is that Trump's being excluded. They're saying that this is some type of uh, Democratic led, um, basically that it's not Trump, it's Bill Gates, and him basically vying for power, and he wants money. Uh, from, I guess, somehow getting money through uh, promoting vaccinations. But and he's eugenics, doing this. Yeah. 
in eugenics and basically they're talking about uh using nanochips to track people and i saw this stuff online and yeah, I'm i've, just like, I've what? seen I had some no idea. similar things uh from people recently where um <clears throat> i mean i don't take much of it seriously and i would say um what you're talking about that type of person is a symptom of um, that type of like forced censorship onto people and maybe even not necessarily forced i don't know it's well, well well bob let me like the reason the reason why it's such a problem though is no one or no one is interacting with these individuals on a serious basis that think differently than these individuals. This mm-hmm. person that posted this on Twitter is being completely removed from society because everyone looks at their views as crazy, which is why I started looking at the page because people kept sending me stuff and I'm like, this isn't real. I'm like, no way, no way. But I always reserve a little bit of like, you know, room to, to realize like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm mi- missing something, you know? Yeah, but um, like Bill so Gates, so it's almost in, like a in, symptom that adds to the cause or worsens yeah. the cause. Uh, it's but like having like, a cough that, like, you have a cough because you have an infection in your lungs, but every time you cough, that infection gets spread worse and worse. And it's like the cough is the symptom of what's wrong. It's it's not like you shouldn't attack the cough. There's something internally going on, but the cough, yeah adds to the worseness of the situation and Mm -hmm. aggravates whatever's going on internally in your lungs. Interesting. Um, I've never thought of it like that. Continue. Well, and they're just, they're just reinforcing their own ideology. Like this particular person is not reaching new people, new people they can bring into thinking that, uh, you know, vaccines are bad and that the COVID thing is just blown out of proportion. Um, they're not trying to reach new people. They're just in a in an echo chamber right. and they keep looking for information to confirm their views and then they keep reposting it and spreading it. Well, the reason why I focused on this post is I've been looking at um, – I've been compiling a, a list of uh, expert witnesses for a criminal case that I'm working on. And I've spent – and I'm not online a ton, but I've had to go over a bunch of um, – LinkedIn profiles to look mm-hmm. at some of these professionals and see what's their background, education, experience, testifying experience, blah, blah, blah. So I got familiar with LinkedIn. Well, this post uh, showed a picture of this daughter, supposedly, and they showed her LinkedIn page. But the LinkedIn page, it was missing some stuff on there. First of all, there was no profile picture. It said, yeah, it showed her name and showed work for the Gates Foundation. But there was no picture of the individual, and it didn't show how many connections she had. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, someone could have just made a LinkedIn profile, just put this stuff on there, and then took a screenshot, and then kind of drew this link because, oh, their names are similar. It's got to be. So I did about, I would say, 10 to 20 minutes of digging to see, like, is there any there there? Is there a link? I could not find any link whatsoever or any other media source, even obscure, except for one site. And I'm not going to give out the the site name. I went on to it, and commonsensically, it, it none of the information made any sense on there. But there were two posts that showed up in Google. One saying that there was the link between the two, so I clicked on that. That post had been removed. And then there was a new post on the site that said uh, that they 
that they were wrong and that there was no link. But this information had already been put out on Twitter. But the thing that I couldn't figure out is who owned the website? Like who is this person? Because I couldn't find – I looked up the name. I couldn't find the, the person on Twitter. They didn't have a Twitter account, which leads me to believe that they probably did, but they were probably banned from Twitter, <laughs> which may lead to a – which leads to a problem, and I'd like to discuss this further, but there's more to the the story. Um, so I kept on digging. I actually looked up uh, – researched the domain name to see who owned it. Uh, they privatized the information, so I couldn't see. But the domain was opened up in 2003. So a little bit prior to the election in 2004. So that would have been what Bush running against Kerry. So I'm thinking, okay, well, it doesn't seem like it's a Russian thing. Like someone's trying to propagate something from another country. So I couldn't find any weird, you know. So I kept digging, digging, digging. And then I found the person, the woman that uh, owns the website and then puts up this information. And I have an audio clip Um I'm not sure you should be able to hear it on your end and I can play it through the mic here. I've got it cued, but this person who posted the information on Twitter that we're talking about that posts this false information has no idea that, that this, that she is espousing information by this other person that is honestly seems to be a hateful person. And, I wonder if the Twitter page owner would be shocked to know this. And I don't know necessarily how to approach it, but uh, it's like my old college professor. If martinlutherking.org looked really legit when you went onto it, but it was owned by a KKK group. Hmm. So if you if you went through the website, um, you can you can bring it up. Anyone listening right now, you can bring up. I don't think the website's active, but there'll be news stories that talk about the website. And it seemed legit. It seemed so legit. My professor, I remember him clicking through, clicking through, clicking through. And then finally, you start seeing lightning bolts and, you know, web pages to Aryan Nation websites. And we were all stunned in the class. Like, how could it be a .org? And his point was, is like, information sounds good on its face. People are smart. But you always have to check. You always have to dig. And that's why I was digging on this post. But... Uh, do you want me to play the the soundbite? Absolutely. Speak out against Islam outside of the outside of the law and outside of the Constitution, and I just about lost my mind that night. I the two part video that went worldwide viral. The first part of it was me just tearing Graham a new one, and if anybody needs it, it's that fool. So that was the first part, and then the second part was me actually burning a Koran, but I did it the right way. I read. I read it. I didn't just take a book and burn it. That's that's redneck. That's not how you do it. If you're going to burn a book, you got to do it with class and sophistication. The way you burn a book is, is you open it up and you read the filthy crap that's inside of it, and then you tear it out page by page and burn it, and I had, I had 17 Koranic citations. There's, there's a thousand thousands of Quranic citations that you could choose to read that are just awful because the whole thing is just a satanic manifesto. It's evil cover to cover. But I picked out, you know, 17 of the big ones, went through, oh, and I bookmarked the pages with Rob Bacon, which is pretty awesome too. Hilarious. So I tore it out and I burned it page by page by page. And then the thing that made it go really, really viral 
what gave it the power is at the very, very end. I said, my name's Ann no, Barnhart. I, sorry, I cut it off right there. I don't even want to give out uh, her name. And that's another thing we need to talk about. Like, I don't, she gives out her name. She gives out her full address and, and all that kind of stuff. And she says, basically, bring it on. And she said that what's the worst the, What's the worst thing they're going to do? Shoot me. And that means that I'm just going to live eternity in heaven with Jesus. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, but wouldn't they say the same exact thing about killing them? Like, they're just going to spend eternity with... But, but the information that was on that Twitter page came from this woman. And it took me literally 10 to 20 minutes digging and tracking to figure out who was spreading this information. Mm -hmm. And listen, she does not have a Twitter page, but she is hashtagged on Twitter. So what people are doing is they're taking the information from her website and they're spreading it amongst the groups without knowing who the original poster is, who the content creator is. Mm -hmm. And that's the scary part about censorship to me. Listen, she may have awful views that that i mean when i heard that when i first played the video i wasn't expecting that yeah because the the guy the, it was in front but of a this group is her censoring herself correct what do you mean well so so you're saying like this is what you don't like about censorship is that um the in the information that people are posting now from her they don't know it's from her and had they known it was from her they might not post it because of the types of views that she yeah uh also supports um so um my question was though isn't this her censoring herself because of her own actions yeah she doesn't have a twitter handle or this or that like whoever's well, assuming- censoring her like her name well- well, Twitter's banned. Uh, well, no, I, it, it sounds. I mean, it, it took me a while just to find what I was looking for was just a picture. I wanted to see a face. I wanted to see someone that knew her because I, I yeah. really was wondering whether or not it was some type of foreign propaganda. You know, right? That um, that was my first thought immediately. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's what I was thinking. It wasn't foreign propaganda. It's from here. It's still propaganda. But my thing is that, uh, you know, Twitter has banned a lot of, you know, individuals because of hate speech and inciting hate speech. And my thing is that isn't it better to know who the messenger is? Isn't it, you know, because they don't go away. People are still going to find them. You can't ban people from the Internet. So people are still going to find a link to their content. And well, they're going to disseminate the information, but you're never going to know who the source is. I mean, unless you, you I have dig, a question, like though, do, then but... you just sort of censored the information and who that was from. I didn't did. You? Yeah, because I didn't mention her name. Well, yeah. and, and you and said I, you you wanted to leave it out, but. And I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted <laughs> about it, but also at the same same exact time, like. I, I, you know, I mean, uh, there's no one listening at this point in, in time, but. I also don't want to necessarily cause some like freaking crazy firestorm. I just want well, people not to about look the person, at the information like, themselves. I, I know like you want to censor the name of the person who posted it um, for personal reasons, and that's absolutely fine. But the person who created the content of that video, the audio clip we just listened to, um, I would argue there's no need to censor that. However, well, I can. Yeah. That, that being said, I mean, part of what I can see about censorship, look, I want to go back and state, like, I'm not for 
forced censorship. I'm for voluntary uh, censorship. Like I, I don't yeah. think that anybody should be forcibly censored. Um, there is a freedom of speech and you should be able to speak how you want. All I'm saying is that you should censor yourself if you want to be wise and get your message through to a wider audience, as opposed to um, further enlarging the size of your echo chamber. I mean, that is not going to do anything for you other than make you feel good, which might be great, but doesn't achieve any greater cause. Um, Yeah. Unless you're looking for, you know, all out war or revolution and hurting uh, people for holding a different belief than you, which I think is probably one of the most un-American things you could want to do. Um, oh yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I see these very un-American things disguised all the time as patriotism. Um, yeah. you know, uh, America is about freedom of speech, speech and freedom of religion and freedom of ideology and any attempt to suppress that, uh, in my point of view, which is the first amendment. And there is a reason why, um, it, it is the, okay. Okay, what is it? The Second Amendment? Oh my gosh, no, I'm mixing things up. It's been a while. Um, what's her first? Life, the liberty, and the amendment? pursuit of happiness. Second. Yeah. That should be freedom of religion. There we go. Wait, the Second Amendment is right to bear arms. Jesus Christ. All right. I don't know any of this shit, do I? No, but you're on the you're on the right track. First Amendment is uh, freedom of speech, association, religion. Oh, okay. It is oh, the first. Kind of All right. There you go. There's a reason it's the first. <laughs> I'm like yeah. mixing but up that's a, a, sayings that's in what my I like head. is the Well, no, it, it it's fine. I mean, it, you in you it's not necessarily important to I guess know the the amendments specifically. But I mean, there, my point was, was is there's a reason why it's the First Amendment. I mean, they would have put it at the tenth if they didn't care about it that much. Like you can't just yeah. think there is no reason to the order of this shit. There is an absolute mm-hmm. reason, and I'm not saying that people uniformly at the time agreed on what should go first, but things went out. And I'm also not saying you should do what people 250 years ago told you to do. Um, but yeah. if you're claiming patriotism and nationalism and Americanism um, or whatever it is that you're claiming, um, you know, you should want to support the rights of of people's um, ideas and their freedom of speech and religion and things like that. Yeah. Having said all of that, um, that was more just a response to what you're talking about. Um, I think, you know, a bigger part of the problem here um, goes back to the whole idea of um, the echo chamber, regardless of whether we have censorship or not. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a problem that we can fix on an individual listener basis of, you know, just, you know, look for things that aren't censored or, or don't censor yourself or whatever. Um, I think a bigger underlying theme here and something that could actually change about people is knowing how and where to seek information and knowing what it means to have accurate information, right? Um, So what what should be seen as truth or true information? And I'll just speak a little bit about what I know to be truth or truthful information. Um, I'm going to rely back to my understanding of 
science and what science is. Um, science is the idea that you have a hypothesis, a guess of something that you think might be true. And so what you do is you take as many obstacles as you can present to your idea and try and disprove it, right? The whole yeah. idea of um, science and and coming up with truth came from Rene Descartes in, I don't know, the mid-1600s. Um, Rene Descartes uh, was an, uh, a philosopher, and um, he was well-educated and at the age of 18 or 19, after he was done with all his private tutoring, um, decided that he was going to take on some form of Socratic questioning and, you know, uh, started out by thinking things or saying things like, you know, how do I know this isn't just one big dream? How do I know that, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, but how do I know that you're just not a figment of my imagination? I could be dreaming. I, when I dream, it feels as real as this does, and then I wake up and it's yeah. all over. So how do I know that all of this is real? And um, <clears throat> he eventually comes to the conclusion um, through bombarding these ideas um, with, well, how do I even know I'm real? I could just be a thought inside somebody else's head or inside the mind of God. And he comes to the conclusion, well, okay, let me put up this obstacle and and try and knock it down. And what if I'm in this scenario? Let me try and knock it down. And if I'm inside the mind of God, then how am I a thinking thing? If I'm a thinking thing, I must at least exist in some form, even if it's inside of the mind of God. I think, therefore I am. And he came yeah. to this truth, quote unquote, through trying to kind of disprove his own um, skepticism and whether or not he exists and whether or not all of this is real. And then uh, this guy by the name of uh, Sir Francis Bacon says, you know what? I like that. That's that's the only thing that I've ever really seen that we can know is absolutely true. I think, therefore, I am. Yeah, I'm a thinking thing. Therefore, I must be something. That is truth. And uh, we've tried to disprove it, and Rene Descartes presented all these arguments against it, trying to say, well, maybe I'm not this thing. And you know what? At the end of the day, nothing's tearing that down. And so he creates what we know as the scientific method. Come up with a hypothesis, try and then make it uh, so that it's false. Try and disprove yourself. Okay. Um, so say that the, you know, um, that the sky is blue and then come up with all these, uh, that's probably not a good one because we could say that's relative. Say that there's 20 feet between me and the door and then try and measure it a bunch of different ways, um, you know, or, or point A and point B. Okay. My room and the door to outside of the house and then measure it at night, measure it in the daytime, measure it when it's raining, measure it when it's sunny out, measure it in the fall, measure it in the winter, measure it every time. And if it continually comes out to be that it's 20 feet from this room to the door, um, and I try to disprove it and try and find out times in which it might be 15 feet or 25 feet or something like that. And I, I test all those things, but it's always 20. Then we must know it's true. And that is science. And we've gotten so far away now in 2020 from the idea of what something that is true is. Look, What's so important about this is that was like the end of the scientific revolution. That whole idea closed out a phase in a shift of thinking. Prior to this, everybody just thought that there were things about the world that you couldn't know, that couldn't be proven, that we had to feel or leave to the gods or you couldn't understand. There's this old um, 
fable or tale where um, these monks are arguing about how many teeth are inside of a horse's mouth. And, um, you know, some of the the monks say, um, you know, it's 20 teeth. Some of them say it's 10. Some of them say, um, you can't possibly know. Um, only the gods could know because they created horses. And then one of the monks goes, there's a dead horse over there. Why don't we just go open his mouth and count? And then they stone him <laughs> <Yeah>. to death. <laughs> They stone the monk to death. Yeah, I've heard um, that, yeah. Yeah, because, so, that that is this idea prior to it of, you know what, um, we can't know, it's just up to the gods, and so this whole thing of science shifts, and I'm not saying this is when science becomes dominant, what I'm saying is that the whole general view of humankind shifted from thinking that all of us as a global community think there are things out there that we just can't know and understand within the the span of a few hundred years. We got rid of that. We eradicated that idea and we thought there are things we could know and this is how we can know it. And in 2020, now the scientific revolution, you know, ended uh, with Newtonian physics that became, you know, the realm or the era of science in the early 1700s or the late 1600s. And here we are about 300 to 350 years later, and we've forgotten what science really is. We think that if we can find one or two things to support our point of view, well, then it must be truth. But we ignore all the other things that say contrary. But science should tell us, or truth, what is actually true, should tell us that if we can find any of those things and not just look for something, but we find something that even opposes our point of view at all, then we should remain skeptical. Yeah. And we've gotten so far away from that that now we don't quite understand that. And so if we can sort of get back to the idea a little bit and we can find a reason to get back to this idea of, look, you know, just because you find something that supports your point of view on the internet, regardless of who says it, look, you don't have to throw um, the baby out with the bathwater. That that one girl that you found, just because we hear that clip of her um, sounding absolutely insane, doesn't mean that everything she says is insane. Exactly. Exactly. That's really, that's actually really, really important. Yes. Well, because, because otherwise we get into the realm of good and, and evil. And because otherwise she drinks water so i should fucking get stop drinking water myself hey there i go not censoring myself so i guess that's what what makes it no but that's what makes it so hard about um about you know human life and existence and all that kind of stuff it's like even if you look at someone like like hitler like he didn't have like it's not like everything that came out of his mouth was crazy he just did stuff that was so insane that we will forever remember him as being this horrible guy and rightfully so and this is kind of a hard subject to touch because whenever you talk about hitler if you don't if you're not thinking in absolutes but then then you're a monster you know as a byproduct but but the thing is though is that you prevent monsters from coming into an existence and manifesting themselves as a monster by understanding that they may come off like a normal human being in a lot of other areas so I think it's important to remember that human beings are dynamic and that that, that other woman that I that, that I play the video from or the audio from uh she may be reasonable in other regards and there is the possibility that I just found one video and I I I think I watched the first 10 minutes of it but it's an hour and 20 minutes long. Maybe she was just, you know, placating to the crowd that she was in front of. I would never 
I mean, it just seems so far out there, like the book burning and all that. And like, it's just, yeah. I have to I say hate that, that idea. I hate that idea because people need, need to read stuff that is awful and terrible so that you don't repeat that same behavior. Like this stuff did exist. It did happen. Hitler happened. Like we need to make sure that we're not that indifferent right. a society again. So we don't repeat those, uh, those horrible atrocities. You know, but we go, we go, you know, we act as if that stuff will never happen again. But I mean, they thought that wasn't going to happen back then either. You know, I mean, so, but I think a lot of it is uh, confirmation bias. I think a lot of, I think there is a lot of trickery. There's uh, a lot of Machiavellian type of uh, political maneuvering and with the internet and everything and whistleblowers, some of that stuff has come to light. So there are conspiracies. And I think, People have uh, lost faith in experts and institutions, and this is this isn't anything necessarily new. This is, there there's old there have always been people that have abused the system, and there have always been charlatans. I mean, if you go back to the Dust Bowl, uh, I, I was doing some research on this a few years back because my grandmother came across uh, during the Dust Bowl to mm-hmm. California. She buried a daughter in Blythe who died on the way. I mean, it was a terrible, it was a rough time. And the book that I read was called The Worst Hard, the Worst Hard Time. And they talked about these people that would come into these towns and they would basically just take the money from the citizens and the hope was is that these individuals would shoot rockets up into the atmosphere and they'd explode. And that was supposed to cause an atmospheric change, which would bring rains. And so many people being so desperate believe this sort of thing. And the yeah. reason they believed it is because every once in a while they shoot the rockets up. A couple hours later, it'd rain or the mm-hmm. next day it'd rain. And they're like, it's real. It's real. It's real. We look at it now. We're like, that's ridiculous. But, that's, but you look at some of this that's happening today though like people just are going off a confirmation bias because they don't trust the experts anymore they look at you as a behavioral scientist and say oh well how are you trying to manipulate me then what are you up to well and that's what i'm saying though is that um they have reason to do that because so many things have been presented as science that are not actually science but they haven't been presented by scientists as science, it's been presented by media as science, or um, it's been presented as factual information, I should say, because it still yeah. might be good science if it's one article, but science should be multiple articles then attempting to achieve the same results, which is why science has that whole method section there for replicability, so someone else can try and replicate it. And once you get a few people replicating these articles, well, then you have something. I mean, yeah. a- another big problem that you then run into in science is you have what's called the file drawer effect. And the file drawer effect is this idea that for every um, good research article that you have out there, a few good research articles that you have uh, going out there, maybe one or two of them get published, but then you don't republish the same like someone's article recreating the research and being like, yep, we found it again for the 20th time. Um, you know, someone tried to disprove this and do it a little bit differently, but it's still the same thing. No, only maybe one or two of those get published and and then the rest sit in a file drawer. And then so you might yeah. get one new research article coming out um, that says something like, uh, headlines, eggs are bad for you. Don't eat them. They cause high cholesterol and heart disease. And then everyone all of a sudden is on board with that because they're 
there's only one news article or one research article that you can find that says eggs are good and only one you can find that are bad when in reality there's 20 just 19 of them are sitting in a file drawer somewhere um yeah and and so you know i don't know it's it's weird because i am a, a person of science but it's hard to know really good science when you see it in 2020. Um, you have to be trained in it. You have to have the time and the patience to actually read through. You have to question things. You have to read a science article knowing it comes from a good source and be willing to say, this is shit. Why didn't they do this or that? And as opposed to just taking, you know, uh, the person who did it, um, as uh, an authority on on the situation, and so, um, you know, I I see this all the time when I do my continuing education units or this or that. I I hear research projects, and then it's like the limitations of this study were um, while we had six people, we had to throw three out because so many new behaviors come up or this or that. And you're like, okay, so. Like this worked with a few people, but let's see how this works with some other people. Let's attempt to recreate this. And is it that replicable or are you doing something that you can't actually describe? Anyways, sort of getting off onto a different subject. Um, but uh, I want to say that I can understand why the people in the Dust Bowl would believe that because it's so easy to um, understand cause and effect when you don't have a lot of clarity there um this well in fear in well fear, yeah oh yeah absolutely in desperation when you're in desperation absolutely when somebody is in a position of grieving um or remorse or fear um, they're so much more susceptible to believe something and look for an answer um there this research uh i can't quote specifically who it was but i can say um there's a podcast called the hidden brain on npr um oh yeah and i would butcher the guy's name it's shankar vedantam um I don't know if I said that correct at all, but there was an episode um, about humans and our ability to recognize patterns. And uh, in it, he explains some research articles that came out, um, which again, I'd like to preface that I didn't read them specifically myself, nor did I look for it, but on the face value and being a psychologist, um, not a licensed psychologist, but I have a master's in clinical psychology uh, and being a behavior analyst, it made sense at face value, which could be confirmation bias. But um, they took individuals and they um, flashed a bunch of numbers on a screen in front of them and they asked them to press a button when they understood the pattern of the numbers that were presented in front of them. So they took a bunch of people, sat them in front of computers, flashed a series of numbers and you press the button when you understand the pattern of the numbers. Okay. When you're done, you get presented with a new pattern of numbers. So every person goes through, let's say 20 sets of numbers. Now here's the catch. Some of those numbers have no patterns to them whatsoever. They intentionally don't have patterns. Yeah. Okay. The results of this study found that people are quicker to press the button when there is no pattern than when, than when there actually is a pattern presented in front of them. In other words, when we don't see an answer, we're quicker to come up with an answer. When we can't see cause and effect clearly, we come up with it. But when we can see cause and effect, we're a little bit more cautious to understand it. And we reserve our certainty until we fully understand it. That's interesting. 
It is, and I wish I knew specifically who the research was. Um, but I don't know. That was it. I could explain it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just weird because I'm trying to think like commonsensically in my brain, like how that works. I think I'm. I've always just me with my insecurities. I always question whether or not like I'm I'm right, you know. And but there's just times where like things just don't add up. And I, and I don't know, I don't know why it's just like that post today. I mean, it was just simply looking at that LinkedIn page and I was like, okay, I don't see how many connections. I don't see a profile picture. Like something just doesn't seem right here. So I do a little bit of digging and then that comes up. But I did that, you know, in high school too. Like, you know, someone rigged the uh, election But isn't that exactly what somebody else on the other side does is they look at um, this person being appointed Trump and go, okay, this doesn't look right. I'm going to do some research. And all of a sudden they're finding something that's posted online about a connection between this person and... Bill Gates and eugenics and uh, vaccinating the world so we can kill people off. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, we live in an age where it's it's really challenging to find accurate information. And, um, I mean, if I could push any message out there, it would be to just be more skeptical of general information, to reserve yeah. coming to you know, a conclusion or a judgment on, on anything until you have an overwhelming amount of evidence. I'm not saying don't follow some of these things. I'm not saying don't look it up. I'm not saying don't do your own research, which I actually am against, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Go ahead and do all those things, but you need overwhelming evidence to be convinced of something, or at least you should. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to be convincing to other people. Otherwise, to bring this back, you know, a few minutes, 15 or 20 minutes here, what's going to happen is you're going to start attempting to spread some of this information. And maybe, in a sense, because you're not censoring yourself now and you're just throwing out ideas as if they are truth, you're going to start pushing people away from you and you're going to find yourself cornered. Um, And you know what? Something I wanted to say when I was talking about this or when you were talking about it a while ago is the people like this lady that you presented in the audio clip, you know, she might not be so abrasive if she hadn't pushed herself into a corner um, where maybe she wasn't being listened to or maybe she was in her own echo chamber. Not taken seriously, yeah. If people did start listening to her, I bet her attitude would change quite a bit. Now, this is just anecdotally uh, or anecdotally my own ideas. Um, so I don't have a lot of good evidence for this other than my own personal experience, but I would imagine that if people started getting behind her and going, yeah, you're right, this and that and blah, 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 that she would be a lot more gentle in the way that she presents her information. I could be wrong. Yeah. She well, could. It's like, it's like, see, well, it's like seeing a, a flame in dry brush and looking over there and just being like, well, I fire, I hate fire. So you're just like, I'm just going to leave it alone. And then you walk away and then, you know, all of a sudden you hear an hour later, like, hey, did you hear about that big uh, forest fire that's burning everything down? It's like, yeah, I saw the little flame. Uh, I'm bothered by fire. I don't really agree with uh, the course that it takes and burning down homes. So I just went back to my home, which is safe and far away from the fire. And they'd be like, wait, why didn't you try to engage the fire and put it out? It's like. Why is that my fucking responsibility? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. It's like, but you let it blow up into this huge inferno. Yeah, because I didn't want to get near it because I hate fire, that piece of shit. (laughs) Not going anywhere near it. And then you let it get out of control. 
and then that's where the problems manifest. So, like, like with this, the person that I'm talking to that 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 has this particular Twitter page and everything, um, I really value this person as a as a human being, and I know them on a deep level, and I know them not to be a hateful person or the type of person that would just espouse nonsense to cause problems um the person actually truly believes in a lot of the stuff and you know the the i look at it like like the fire you know the flame is small right now so why not try and engage in a conversation if it's at all possible right and and who knows maybe i'm missing something maybe i've got a little bit of the fire in me and maybe if i engaged we might be able to come to a mutual understanding and therefore it doesn't result in extremes on either side because there's a common understanding. But a lot of people will say, uh, kumbaya, yeah, sure, uh-huh, yeah. We're not going to engage in that. But I, I, maybe I'm just a, a, a fool in terms of being optimistic in that regard. But, uh, you know, I say address the fire before it turns into the inferno. Um, and that's why I think isolating people and allowing them to just go off into their own social groups where it just becomes, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger and more outlandish. It doesn't lead to anything good. I so, agree. Well, yeah, that is our time today, folks. Um, we were supposed to talk about education a little bit. I remember that about 20 minutes in, but we didn't get <laughs> yeah. to that. Maybe we'll get to it next time. Maybe we won't. Like I said, we don't have an agenda. But thank you for tuning in. And until uh, next week, uh, stay safe out there. (laughs) 